Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, this is Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 614 to be exact, coming out on December 18th, 2022. I uh, just want to let you know this is most likely going to be the last show of this year. One week from today, Christmas Day, I will probably not be putting out a show Christmas day that depends if i can get it recorded earlier and release it on christmas day maybe well then you're going to have a show but likely not and then the next show will be out on january 1st of 2023 this is a practical show done by a very practical guy and that is me my guest coming up once again is matt krosick of mitten state firearms I'll be bringing him on in just about a minute. I just want to say, if you like what you hear on my show, I do a real good job of trying to keep it practical and useful. I want it to be useful, and if this helps you out in any way, I'd like to get your support. I don't have any more sponsors on this show. Kind of a mutual decision between me and my sponsors Patreon is the biggest way that this show gets supported, and I'd like to get your assistance on that. I just put up a real good interview that I did with Gabe Suarez last week, part two of that interview, and a whole lot more good material. You can be a Patreon member for as little as $3 a month to keep this show and my YouTube channel going. These things take time, they take effort, they take a little bit of money, and you guys benefit from it pretty much for free listening to it, so I would very much uh, appreciate that. I have a couple more announcements, but I'm going to wait until after the interview. So Matt Krosick was on this show several weeks ago talking about what my subject matter at the time was called, What Do You Carry and Why?, And he mentioned some pretty good firearms then. We have more to talk about in this interview and how he's been practicing his carry techniques as well. How, How does he train with his carry guns? That was one of my favorite parts of this interview. Let's get it rolling. Matt Krosick from Minton State Firearms. Back on the show a second time is Matt Krosick. Matt? Welcome back to the show. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me again. Well, you're welcome. We had a good conversation last time about what we carry and why you kind of gave a pretty interesting answer, I remember. You spend a lot of time, or at least you did at that time, carrying a Glock 32, didn't you? I do, yep. Do you Um, still? I still do. Yep, I still carry the 32 pretty often. Um, it's a little bit easier now that it's kind of sweatshirt weather here in Michigan. I know we touched on that last time we talked on the show, but I do have a rotation and my Glock 26 has been making it into that rotation pretty often lately. Well, that's good. That's a good, great gun. 
That's so a, I just, you know, go ahead. Oh, that's okay. The Glock 26 is one of the most accurate Glocks that I've ever had a chance to shoot. It, it's it's really good. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's accurate. I have really big hands, so the double stack seem to fit my hand a little bit better than, say, the 43X or 48, which I do carry both of those pretty often as well. Uh-huh. But I have uh, the Glock, the OEM Glock, plus two mag extensions on all my 26 magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does fit my hand a little bit better, and, and like you said, it's accurate. It shoots well. The recoil isn't terrible on it. I mean, it's a 9 millimeter, so personally for me, recoil is never an issue. But it's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's overall, it's a great gun, and, and like I said, it makes it into my rotation pretty often, and sometimes usually when it gets there, it, it stays there for quite a while. I am probably like you, my... My fingers are long. My hands are not really big, but fingers are long. So if I have a small gun, a lot of times my hand wraps completely around the whole entire grip. Right. You find that to be an issue as well? I do, yep. That's So that's the number one reason why the double stacks fit my hand a little bit better. I just have massive hands. I mean, yeah. Um, so not only do they, they wrap fully around the grip... But they, I mean, they take up everything. There's no dead space for my weak hands. Mm. Um, and I can still shoot them efficiently, but it's just, it's a little more pleasant. And I'm a little more accurate with the double stacks that I can, I can get my weak hand on and make a solid grip on the gun. You know, that's huge. I recently talked about that in one of my last episodes. And some people don't realize how important that is. Why is it important for you to also have a big enough grip to get your weak hand on there. Well, here's here's the the uh, way I like to put it. I you know last time we we talked, I was in the process of getting my CPL instructor certification, which I have since then got plus another few certifications. Okay. But one of the one of the the things that I like to tell students is you should treat the grip of your gun like a fence post. And you know how you'd put a fence post on the ground. You want all the dirt packed completely tightly around the fence post. You don't want any want any open spaces because if there is, then that post can move into that open space. The same thing happens when you get a grip on a pistol is that if you don't have somewhere on the pistol that you can get a tight grip on, the gun is naturally going to want to move that way. So if you can't get your weak hand on there and get a tight grip with both your hands, your gun's going to inherently move a little bit more than it should in your hands. You know, that's a great analogy. That's a great word picture. Good way to describe that. I've never thought about that. I've driven plenty of fence posts in the ground in my lifetime, especially when I was a younger man. And and you're right. You know, I grew up out in the country, and we had a bunch of horses and and few cattle and, and things like that, and we were building fences all the time. Right. It's just a good picture for people because, you know, a lot of people can picture that in their head, but, you know, a lot of people are pretty green to the pistol platform. So if you can put something into their head where they can actually visualize it, it helps make the point you're trying to get across a little bit easier. I think I know the answer to my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you find the double stack grips any more difficult to conceal? I personally don't. Um, okay. You know that all comes with having the right equipment. You know, you choose a good belt, a good belt. You choose pants that fit that belt nicely, and then having a uh, a good holster is very important. You know, having the gun and, and training with the gun is your number one, obviously. But having the proper equipment to be efficient and conceal that gun efficiently is just as important as picking a gun that fits your hand. You want a holster that fits your body type, your your apparel, and your lifestyle. 
Yeah, yeah. And for you, I would imagine the Glock 26 is pretty, pretty, you know, conducive for you to carry that a lot. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a t-shirt, sweatshirt, anything. It's uh, pretty easy to conceal that gun. It's comfortable. Uh, you don't really notice it's there. Um, and like I said, it's easy to get my hands on, especially not so much if I don't have the mag extensions on it. Mm-hmm. And if it's something I'm going to carry, I like to try to keep it as factory as I possibly can because I think that the more you add on to a, a carry firearm, the less reliable it gets because it comes from the factory. Those people really know what they're doing making firearms. And yes. uh so true. I like to keep the OEM uh, base plates on there, the plus two base plates, to make sure that um, I have the most quality equipment and that my gun's going to go bang when I need it to if I ever, if the need ever arises. Well, that's probably one of the best points I've heard. I've been a longtime advocate <clears throat> of keeping your guns, your carry guns at least, mostly if not 100% stock. Yes. And I've always... A... Go ahead. There's another um, aspect to that as well, and it's something that we often don't think about, and that is if you ever do find yourself in a defensive shooting situation and you have a gun that's got all kinds of aftermarket parts on it, aftermarket triggers, and you end up having to go to court, the prosecutor is going to make his best case against you saying that you made a more efficient killing machine or something along those lines if you have all kinds of fancy bells and whistles on your carry firearm. Yeah, it was your intention to shoot him. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. But let's get back to the Glock 26 for a minute. Um, yes, do you sir. still have the stock sights on it? I do. Wow. So, <clears throat> wow. I, I don't mind. I I don't mind the the Glock sights. Okay. I mean, I don't think they're great. Yeah. Um, but that is a thing that I've trained with so many of them that that I really can pick that sight picture up easily uh-huh. i mean it's pretty much second nature to me and keep it i don't have my factory sights on all my glocks but all of my carry guns i do i recently um just picked up a set of the excess big dot sights that i'm going to put on my glock mm-hmm. 43 mm-hmm. and if i like the way those point and the way those look i'm probably going to change them because i don't have them that specific sight on any of my other firearms Mm-hmm. I may venture into that if I really like them. I have, uh, I will be training with that firearm this weekend probably, and if everything goes well, I probably will order maybe three or four more of those sites. Well, you know, the late James Yeager was a big proponent of those excess big dot sites. Yeah. And I remember when he first started making videos and talking about them, I thought they were kind of funny and... I didn't really take him seriously, but I was wrong about that. And, you know, if you can learn to shoot those, they're they're excellent. Well, another thing is, too, if you're, if you're training, you know, if you're not at the range just punching holes in paper and standing there and just pointing your gun and cracking around off every 30 seconds and you're actually doing training, mm-hmm. you don't pick up your sight picture very often. If you're training for defensive tactics and you're getting your going from a concealed draw to getting on target most of the time it's natural pointing um or just all you're looking at is a very front sight and you're going to get a picture of that right right as it's coming up on target and you're going to crack a few rounds off you don't really have time or you shouldn't have time to get a full sight alignment if you're doing defensive tactics and that's most of my training is is defensive tactics as it should be 
You know, when when I was teaching a lot of classes with Ben Branham, and even going back sooner than that, when I was, uh, I mean, later than, earlier than that, whatever word I'm looking for, when I was teaching for Suarez International as well, that was so true, and a lot of people didn't believe me. And sometimes by the end of the class, they were making good quality hits from 7 to 10 yards before they even had a clean sight picture. Right. You get that muscle memory down. Once you get that motion into your neural pathways, that becomes a natural motion when you're drawing your gun. You make all the same motions every time, and that's what helps you be consistent with a shot, whether or not you're getting your, your eyes on the sights and the sights aligned. Um, it's a natural point of aim. If you use an isosceles stance, which I, uh, I'm a big proponent of, then you try to uh, – that keeps your body moving the same way every time, and your natural point of aim should be right on target whether or not you get your sight picture. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that when you're training in your defensive tactics with your carry gun, sometimes you don't even get to completely get into the isosceles stance? If, you, if you're really going for a quick time, because really, I mean, in a gunfight, you're not going to have much time. Have you ever noticed that, that sometimes you don't even get into a complete stance? Absolutely. I train – I train that way. I train moving. Um, yeah. We have a shot timer going where we'll, one of us will be standing behind the other one and we'll have the shot timer go off and we'll be just in a normal conversation. One of us will push the button without the other person knowing. Obviously, everybody's in a safe area. Uh, but once that goes off, you know, you could be just having a um, conversation in a coffee shop. We try to have kind of situations like that. Then you got to get your gun out and you got to go. So most of the time, honestly, you're not going to have time to get in the stance that you practice for. Um, but it, like you said, in a defensive situation, most of the time you're not going to be able to get everything set up and right like you wanted to anyway. Most of the time you're not. So I don't want people to think this is a commercial for Glock, but I do want to ask you about your Glock 43X. What do you think of that? I love my Glock 43X. Um, that was probably the gun I carried the longest before I started expanding, um, Mm-hmm. my my choices i when i first started carrying my glock 43 i bought a cheap holster um i had just my normal 20 dollar 511 belt which i actually still wear today um not mm-hmm. usually when i carry but it's one that i wear to work and stuff but um once i started diving into the the better holsters and the the, the right equipment um it made it a lot easier to carry different options but the 43 x is you know, with a longer grip, I thought that was a home run when Glock came out with that. I originally wanted the 48, and I couldn't find one, so I settled on the 43X. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was happy I did because the balance of that gun is phenomenal. The, the grip length on it is awesome. But like I said, my only my only problem with it, and it's not a problem with the gun, it's the fact that my hands are so big, is that my, my one hand takes up the whole entire grip. And also my 43X is no longer stock. It's got, I don't carry it very often anymore because it's got a stainless steel threaded fluted barrel on it. It's got um, <laughs> a cut, it's got a cut slide on it. It's got a red dot on it. So that one's more of a range, a fun range toy rather than uh, one that makes it into the carry rotation as often as it used to. Well, now I I want to talk a little bit about what I've been doing and I want to, and I asked you the Glock 43X question uh Purposely, because you're right, Glock hit a home run with the length of the grip on the Glock 43X and the balance of the gun. And you mentioned balance, and I'm so glad you did, because few people talk about this, and I want to talk about the balance of a gun. 
I think the full length grip, or at least a long enough grip to where you can get all of your three fingers on the grip. And when you can do that, and you can still have a concealable firearm, I think that is perfect, don't you? Absolutely. Especially with the offerings now, I mean, with the Glock, like you said, the 43X specifically. So your factory, you got one in the chamber, you got 11 rounds. Um, if you got a, a decent holster, you can carry a spare mag, or if you carry a spare mag. But then you end up with aftermarket companies like the Shield Arms magazines, where you can have 15 plus one. Mm-hmm. And then even if you want to throw a plus two extension on there, you got 17 rounds in that in that firearm. That's one of the easiest firearms to conceal on the market today. Well, let me tell you what I've been doing. So I've recently uh, became quite um, fond of the Sig P365. And and I'll tell you why. Because similar to the Glock 43X, SIG has what's called the 365X, which is the same slide, the same upper as the 365, but the grip is the same length as their XL, or actually this almost the same length as the 43X by Glock. Right. And I found that, for me, to be... Fantastic. And I went a step further. I purchased a Wilson Combat Grip Module for my uh, Glock, uh, excuse me, a Wilson Combat Grip Module for my SIG P365X, and I bought the the regular length, not the shortened one, the regular, where I can get all my fingers on it. Yeah. And that is just a perfect, perfect, it feels like it was made for my hand. Yeah. That's, That's one of the things... I have a 320. I don't have a 365. I plan on getting a 365X macro sometime in the near future. Yeah. Um, it's on my list. But I have a 320 that I did the same thing that you just mentioned. I have a 320 compact, um, and I couldn't stand it from the factory, but I wanted one. You know, it was something. Yeah. It's a gun that I think everybody should have, kind of like a Glock 19, kind of iconic. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, so I grabbed the 320, and I just couldn't stand the factory grip. So I did the same thing as you did. I went on and I bought a Wilson Combat frame for it, and that just changed everything about the gun, and now that's one of the best shooting guns that I own. It feels great in my hand. It's the, that grip module that they came out with for that yeah. is fantastic. I love it. Anybody that has P365s, whether it's the regular or the XL, I'm not talking about the XL macro or, or the X macro, which is fantastic because I've had a chance to play around with one of those. But if you like ultra concealability, I would recommend the 365X, which, as I just described, and put a Wilson Combat Grip Module. And one of the things it does for me, I mentioned earlier that I got big hands, probably like you, with long fingers. My my hand does not completely wrap all the way around that Wilson Combat Module, so it's kind of nice that it doesn't. Yeah, definitely makes it more enjoyable to shoot, and it helps get a better purchase on the firearm for sure. I've shot, I have shot the 365 and the 365XL, which I believe the XL is the same lower as the X, correct? And it the, is. They're the exactly up. the same okay, lower, yeah. yes. Yep. Yes. So I, that gun feels great in my hand, so I can guarantee that with that smaller slide, kind of like the 43X, the shorter slide, I should say, right. I, the balance of the gun, everything feels great on it. Well, i tell you what has changed my mind about guns, especially concealed carry guns. When Glock came out with the 19X, 
I thought it was kind of a joke. I I was, you know, I've always been a big fan of Glocks. Um, yeah, of course, now I'm venturing into some of the other good firearms out there. But I kind of made fun of the Glock 19X and the Glock 43X because I thought, what a stupid concept. A short little slide with a long grip. But I have to admit something. Uh, I've changed my mind on that. Yeah, once you picked one up and pointed it, you changed your mind pretty quick, didn't you? Yes. Yes, the same thing. I changed my mind on it once I picked one up. And with my Glock 43X, the same thing. Once I actually picked one up, I thought, wow, this feels great. And it shoots like a house on fire. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of, you know, I wondered what the what the big point of that was, too, when they first came out with the 19X and, you know, having the full-size frame. Because that was kind of the first thing that I think the 19X was, you know, kind of the first venture into that full-size frame with a shorter slide. And I never really, you know, until I picked one up, but just like you said, I never really understood What's the point? I mean, if you're going to have a full-size frame, put a full-size slide on it. And yeah, now we know what the point is. Right, and that's probably my favorite shooting Glock that I own now is the 45. And um, as yeah. I told you earlier when we were messaging, that gun's all done up as well. It's got a magwell, red dot, and stuff on it. And I brought yeah. that kind of like a, a competition gun, but, man, that thing just feels awesome and shoots great. But I don't think it's a very good gun for concealed carry because it's got a big, long, fat grip on it. Right. Yeah, that's why. Uh, that's one of the ones that don't make it into my. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's why I was glad to rotation. see Glock. That's why I was glad to see Glock and Sig come up with the short-barreled, longer grip, concealed carry guns like the 43X and the P365X. Yep, and one thing Sig definitely does a little bit better is getting more rounds into their magazines for. Yep. Their little concealed carry guns. And you talk about keeping your firearms, your concealed carry guns completely stock uh an out-of-the-box stock 365 is absolutely good to go oh absolutely um now without anything needed but here i just said i put a wilson combat grip module i don't think in a court of law they would probably just because i changed the grip i don't think they would have much of a case on that well no matter what the prosecutor's job is to make you look like a bad guy Exactly. You put all kinds of, you know, you got people put these red triggers on there and then they got a red dot and they got (laughs) extended magazines. They make it look like it's, you know, a quote unquote killing machine. And uh, that's how they're going to pitch it to a jury of people who probably, you know, they're not going to go to your local gun club and grab 12 people and be like, we want you to be on the jury. Uh, They're going to take people who uh, don't probably know anything about firearms and that to them that's going to look they're going to make it sound as scary as they possibly can but if you put a grip module on there that you know that just looks like it looks like a stock firearm unless somebody who really knows about firearms knows that it's not yeah and you know speaking of the glock 43x again um when i carry mine i use the stock magazines i carry 10 plus one um it's good enough for me 10 plus one is good enough for me um, if I if I can't win the fight with 11 rounds, I need more training. Right. And I am a firm yep, believer in reliability. Rounds. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's you know that's the same thing as just carrying a stock. 
you if you run the shield mags you have to change out your your magazine release so now you have an aftermarket magazine aftermarket after, or magazine release yep. you change two proponents of the gun that in my in my honest opinion are making it less reliable than the way it comes from Glock's factory i agree with you i agree with you 100 percent. and so what have you been practicing let's talk now let's stop talking about the actual guns and let's talk about practicing and training uh, concealed carry self-defense. What what are you doing out there? So we, I'm I'm actually pretty lucky to be a member of two gun clubs that are kind of lenient on what we can train. Uh, one of the gun clubs, the one I teach at, uh, you can pretty much run a muck out in the field out there, no matter if you're shooting with a rifle or a pistol. So that one's great. The other one's a little more coordinated, but it has three bays where you can do anything, anything pistol that you want. You can move around. You can shoot around barricades. Um, as long as you're safe, which obviously safety is always the number one goal when you're shooting. Yeah. So we do a lot of, of draw work, holster work. We do a lot of, uh, you know, coming from out of cover, drawing your weapon, shooting. Uh, most of the training is done between 12 and 21 feet. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's mostly defensive training. So that's where, you know, that's where you want to live is between 9 and 16 feet is where most of your defensive situations are going to happen. So that's where we try to train everything. But we do venture out a little bit further. It makes you a better shot. It makes you better up closer. So we do, like I said, we do a lot of stuff right from a draw, shooting, dropping your mag, putting a new mag in, um, coming out of concealment, uh, moving backwards, moving side to side, getting off of the line or off of X, however you want to call it, <clears throat> when you're shooting. You know, getting out there and really uh, really getting used to moving and shooting and, and putting yourself in situations where, you train for situations rather than just punching holes at a bullseye. Rather than just turning money into noise, right? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, you know what I've done lately? I started this last Saturday. Um, I went to a local competition match, and I shot my two P365s. And I was in there competing against people with big large race guns and i'm there with my little p365 both of them my xl and uh, and the regular version and next time i'm going to go out with the glock 43x how do you like shooting those those competition style was it a defensive style well you can make you can make it a defensive style the answer to matt is no the answer is it's not a def- the, the one i went to last weekend was not a defensive style. Now, this weekend is IDPA. IDPA is okay. much more defensive-oriented. But what I do is I try to stay tactically sound when I go to the competition match. And I kind of get laughed at sometimes. The safety officer will look at me and he'll say, Hey, hey Bob, why, why did you do it that way? He said, You cost yourself some time. And I said, Yeah, I know I cost myself some time, but I'm practicing my tactical skills and they have a hard time just getting grasping that idea well that's one thing that there's a lot of people who don't realize there's a difference between marksmanship and defensive marksmanship yeah and there's a lot of people who don't don't understand there's a difference between competitive shooting and then defensive style shooting so i can see where the confusion comes up if you're at a, a you know a competition or um shooting and you're using, you know, your tactics for defensive shooting yeah. while you're there. I can see how people might give you kind of a weird look, but 
Well, if I'm shooting, that happens at the range. If I'm shooting concealed carry guns, I want to be have more defensive tactics than I do gaming tactics. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. That's stuff that's actually going to help you, and especially with your muscle memory and your and your real life scenarios. So that's how I try to train everything. You know, the yeah. only time I actually go to a range and, and push a target out and set it up at um, 25, 30 feet or 15 yards or whatever is when I get a brand new gun and I just want to see how it runs. I'll put 150, 200 rounds through it, standing there. Yeah. And then uh, if I'm going to use it as a carry gun, I'll start running it in defensive drills. If I'm going to use it as just a gun that I take to the range every once in a while when I want to show my buddies or, or just shoot something different, then uh, I'd take it there. But, um, you know, the, the whole standing and just shooting at paper isn't really training. Like you said, it's just turning a decent amount of money nowadays into loud noises. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people, unfortunately, they think that that's training. They think they're good. Oh, look at this. I can stand here and I can, you know, do a three-inch group at 15 yards. Check that out. Well, I would venture to take a pretty good guess that in a real-life self-defense situation, the bad guy is not going to let you stand there at 15 yards and shoot a three-inch group. Right. They're usually You're gonna uh, be more not going to be running at you, or or there's going to be a high stress situation. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't know that the the reason why there's the two second twenty one yard rule that a lot of people train is that the average person can close a distance of or not twenty one yards. I'm sorry, twenty one feet. feet. The average person can close twenty one foot distance in two seconds. So that's why you want to be able to draw and put at least one shot, but preferably two, in center of mass on a target in less than two seconds. That's exactly right. And and not only that, you want to be able to do that on the move. Absolutely. I had yeah, somebody... Most of the time, especially if, if you've got to be backing up in a situation, we train for that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Re- yeah, because a lot of times you have to be retreating. Yep. But sometimes you have to shoot while you're retreating. And this oh, is the sure, stuff... Yeah. I'm glad to hear earlier you said you're a member of a gun club that lets you do those types of things. So am I. There is one here in the San Antonio area. If you are a member and and they pretty much, if the manager of the club thinks that you're safe and, and approves that you know what you're doing, they'll let you do the same thing. They'll let you put up barricades, you know, run around the range, do, do whatever you want to do uh, as long as you're safe doing it. Yeah, like I said, I'm a member of two. The one is is right in the middle of a city, and that one has you can't really do any rifle training there, but it's great for pistol training. Mm-hmm. The other one where I teach my CPL classes at um, is pretty much an open spot in a field in the middle of rural Michigan. The only thing around there is cornfields and and bean fields and sugar beets, and then <laughs> on the other side of it is is one of the lakes. So um, most of the clients out there are either the older clientele shooting shotguns. Yeah. Or uh, there's a high school team that shoots uh, clay out there um, maybe once a week, but obviously right now is not the season. So the, the RSO that is the reigning officer at the uh, club says, as long as nobody's out there, he said, you can drive your truck right out there so people know you're out there doing stuff, set up any kind of target, barricade you want, and do whatever you want, just be safe. Very nice. That's good. That's good. You mentioned CPL classes. Um in Michigan, talk a little bit about what's the requirements for a CPL and, you know, since you're an instructor, talk a little bit about that. 
So your requirements for Michigan, the CPL class requirements for the state of Michigan, is you have to have a minimum of an eight-hour class, which consists of six hours of in-class study as well as range time, uh, two hours of range time. It doesn't always end up being exactly six and two. Um, it all depends on what the discussion is in the classroom. So a lot of the a lot of the discussion in the classroom can translate to what you do on the range, such as drawing um, and things like that. So you you go to the class. If you pass the class, which obviously that's my goal for everybody, we do the test collectively. My goal is not to bring a person to class and then laugh at them because they failed and I got your money. Um, I want everybody to be fully understanding of all of the laws, all of the tactics we discussed, and be efficient and safe while handling their firearms. So I I do, like I said, that we got the six hours in the class, and then we do the two hours on the range. I do some, some very light drills. It's not just standing and shooting, but it's also not a pistol one class. And then once you receive your certificate of completion, you take it to your local county clerk. You pay $100 at your local county clerk for the application fee where they run a background check, and you also have to supply them with fingerprints, which is also part of the background check. So you usually have to go to your local police station, get fingerprints, and then you turn it in. And then um, if you don't have any felonies or any misdemeanors that would be, uh, you know, um, any kind of abuse, misdemeanors, domestic violence, anything like that, um, within 45 days, you're supposed to get your license. And if you don't receive a letter of denial in that 45 days, then your receipt from the county clerk and your ID or your CPL as long as you weren't denied. Good. That's good. That's very similar to what Texas used to have set up. We've become a constitutional carry state. I think it was uh, about two years ago. But when when we required uh, LTCs, that's pretty much, it was pretty close to the same thing. It actually went down to a four-hour class with 50 rounds, or I think it was an hour. I think they, they changed it right after I got done uh, teaching it and decided not to do it anymore, but it was pretty similar. Yeah, we have, the state requirement is 30 rounds, and uh, the state target that you're actually required to hit is pretty a pretty large one. I don't like to disclose that one because then it makes people think that they can just kind of shoot freely. So I have my, my silhouette targets that I hit, and I show them what I want them to hit to be able to pass the class. And if they can hit that, then they definitely pass the, the actual state requirement size target. 30 rounds, not 50. Nope, it's 30. Um, okay. I make them shoot. I tell them to bring 100. I make them shoot 50. And if there's anybody who struggles with any of the range part, I will keep them back and uh, make sure that I do a little more work with them so that they can leave their feeling more comfortable with their with their skill set. Have you ever had to fail anybody? I have not. Wow, okay. I, I did, haven't even had to come close. I, had, I did once. I actually, okay, was it a, a safety thing or just a all-around not a good candidate? It was actually not a safety thing. It was uh, a person, I'm not even going to give too many uh, details, but it was someone that just absolutely could not figure out how to control the gun enough to pass the accuracy part of it. Yeah, that makes sense. The person was I, safe, but they just couldn't couldn't handle it. Yeah, just not just not not their thing. I yeah. actually had two people in my last class that were the same thing. One was a a female who had never shot a gun before, and mm-hmm. then another one was an older gentleman who um, had just got a new gun that had a laser on it, and and uh, he had just recently shot that gun and got slide bite. Um, I worked with a little bit, I worked a little bit with both of them and ended up the guy, 
he was pretty efficient by the end of the class. And then the woman was actually the only person in the whole class who punched a hole in the center of the X in the bullseye. She went from not even hitting the target at the beginning mm-hmm. to being the only person in that class that put a hole right in the center of the X. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Very good. That is really cool. Um, is there any talk in Michigan about becoming a constitutional carry state? I think there might have been, but uh, we just had our primaries, our, our election um, at the beginning of November, and it didn't really go the way that that would take it that way. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to stay as I think we're going to stay where we're at right now. I think we actually have an uphill battle coming up as far as our gun rights go. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, you know, with the with the Supreme Court rulings that we've seen recently, that's kind of the only uh, thing that I think is going to save us. But I don't know if I am a proponent of constitutional carry. I mean, I believe the right to defend yourself is a God given right. But I also think that having some sort of training and being able to know that you can efficiently carry a firearm is important. So I think there's a lot of people who would just carry a firearm that definitely shouldn't be people who would have failed the CPL class. And I think we'd end up with a lot more legal issues that would make us responsible gun owners look bad if we went to a constitutional carry. But that's just my opinion. I respect your opinion. The one thing I'm very much opposed to is states that are may issue instead of shall issue. Absolutely. And even though the Supreme Court gave us a favorable ruin, a ruling in the Bruin decision, there are still states, maybe even yours, no, not yours, but there are still states that are openly defying that Supreme Court decision. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I mean, if I had to go to the, the two routes, I would obviously choose constitutional carry over May issue. There yeah. shouldn't be any reason why somebody has to give you a reason or have something that happens so bad that they want a firearm and then they have to try to apply for it based on that reason. It should be something that is as easy as it is to get in a shell issue state. If you can complete a class and show that you're proficient with a firearm out on the, out on the range, then I think you should be able to carry a gun. Yeah. The silliness of that, here's the silliness of that when they say, okay, well you have to have some very specific reason to carry a gun. Well, the fact is they, they should have had the gun before that reason even happened. Absolutely. That's the, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them will, in the May issue states, they'll say, well, you know, I, I got attacked. Well, they should have had the gun before they got attacked. So that's the state's fault right there. Right. Do we have to apply for a, do we have to apply for a license to wear our seatbelts, or do we have to bend in a pretty bad crash before we're allowed to wear seatbelts? Yeah, well, some states are saying you got to be in the bad crash first. Yep. Well, this is a it's good discussion. A flawed, it's a, yeah, it's a flawed uh, mindset to have. Well, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that people have those states that they have to deal with that. I don't really think it's a flaw. I think it's purposeful uh, disobedience by the state. Well, yeah, it is. They don't want to give. It's not a flaw. It's not like, oops, we we accidentally wrote the law the way we shouldn't have written it. No, what what, what it was is the politicians purposely wrote the law that way. Exactly. Self-defense is the cornerstone of all liberty. You take that away, and liberty goes away as well. Yeah. So one last question. In the wintertime in Michigan, it's a lot different than where I am down here in San Antonio. Around here, we can... 
you know, pretty much go outside and train and compete and do whatever we want almost year-round. I, I probably should say year-round. What do you do differently in Michigan? Wear warmer clothes. That's it. You're still out there, right? Yep, you have to. I mean, you're not you're not only the chance of having to defend yourself doesn't only happen when it's 70 degrees and sunny outside. Bob. <laughs> so you know we gotta we gotta train for the weather. Um, when I actually when I took my CPL instructor's course, when I actually had to do my range qualification, yeah, it was pouring rain, pouring. I oh, couldn't wow. even see. I could barely even see the target that I had to shoot at, and I was the only uh, candidate out of the whole class that still, and I shot last, so I was soaked. I wasn't properly dressed for the class. I was cold. I was shaking, but I was the only candidate who scored 100% and hit every 50 out of 50 shot in my CPL instructor's course. Well, I know exactly what you're saying. My home state's Wisconsin. I grew up there, spent the majority of my first 24, almost 25 years there, and still go back there occasionally. Even in January or February, I make an occasional trip back up there. So I know what it's like going out there in the cold. And I'm glad you said just put the warmer clothes on and go back out there. Because sometimes people let them, they, they let things like that stop them. Yep, we'll get a, we'll have a table set up and we'll get a, we'll have a hot, a hot cup of coffee out there. And, you know, when we do our training, we can actually, we can spend two, three hours at the range with 50 rounds. Um, because we do most of our training and then discussing how we shot in that round. We'll put five rounds in a magazine. We'll put snap caps in the magazine, shoot to clear malfunctions and stuff like that. We'll talk about it. We'll sit down and have a warm cup of coffee and, and get ourselves warm again, and then we'll get back out there and train. So you just got to change change your your uh, attire a little bit for the cold weather. You can and, do a uh, lot you with keep uh, at it. You can do a lot with 50 rounds, can't you? You certainly can if you do it right. You know, like we've talked about so many times already in the show that if you're just standing there punching paper and you load a full magazine, I mean, you got a full-size gun, 50 rounds only take you three magazines, and uh, that's it. You can do that in two minutes, and you can be on your way home, or it can be a really expensive rain trip, or you can put six rounds in your magazine, and you can do, you know, draw and shoot two times and move up to the next uh, concealment, get, get out from behind that, shoot two times, and move back and shoot two more times while you're retreating, and and then discuss with the partner that you're training with how you did, what you could have done differently, what were some good things, what were some bad things, and uh, it can be very, very constructive. I think you just set the table for our next discussion, which is how to train with 50 rounds. That would be a great one. I think a lot of people don't know how to do that properly, and I think that would be a, a great topic to touch on. Well, I'm going to be reaching out to you. I think that's what our next uh, topic is going to be since you seem to know a lot about that, how to train with just 50 rounds. Maybe we could stretch it to 100 rounds max. Yeah. Oh, good. That's only two boxes. Well, Matt, thank you very much. I appreciate this. And, you know, as always, uh, you know, donating your time, I, I very much appreciate it. And I like to give my, my guests the last word. What's, what's the last thing you want to share with everybody? Well, I think we touched on it a lot in the show. Uh, train hard. Train smart. Make sure that uh, you know how to efficiently use your firearm if you're going to carry a firearm. And just be smart about it and train the way you would fight. Uh, make sure you can get your mind into those situations because your body won't go where your mind hasn't already gone before. So mm-hmm. while you're out on the rage, look up on uh, on YouTube some, some training ideas or read about them and uh, get out there and actually train. 
That sounds good. Well, Matt Krosick, everybody, I appreciate uh, you coming on. Uh, start thinking about it. We're going to talk about how to train with just 50 rounds. Absolutely. I'll get some good stuff uh, up there for you. Yeah, and let's do something for our Patreon supporters on that, too, because they are, are gracious supporters, and and we can maybe do like a, a part one and a part two of that subject. Absolutely. We can figure something out. Thanks for coming on tonight, sir. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thanks again for your time, Matt Krosick. Check it out, Mitten State Firearms on Facebook. I'll put a link to the show notes. I'm also going to be doing a new YouTube video on my Handgun World YouTube channel pretty soon. I now have three SIG P365s, and I have them all configured a little bit of a different way. So I'll be talking about that, and I'll be putting it on YouTube. Check that out. Be sure to subscribe. Go over to Handgun World at YouTube. Just search me there. You'll find it. Get subscribed, and check out the 365 video, the P365 video that I'm going to be doing real shortly, uh, and we just I just got done talking a lot about that. In this uh, interview, I think I think these I think it's the best concealed carry gun that you can buy these days. And I, I know I'm a little bit biased. And you know, for years, if you've been following me, I've talked about Glocks. I still have Glocks. I still use Glocks. Still own them. I just I think Sig has hit a home run with the P365 series, and there are so many variations. The regular P365. The XL, the X Macro, the Spectre Comp, the 365X, which I think that's the one that's going to be my favorite, the 365X. And I've got one configured that way right now just by changing out the grip module. The only thing I don't have on my version is I don't have the optics cut. And if you go buy a brand new P365X, you're going to get an optics cut with it but I think I can probably pick up an optics cut slide once my budget allows I'm not paid to do this I'm not paid to say this I'm not sponsored by SIG I'm not paid by uh, SIG in any way or anything like that on this show folks you know that I just report and talk about what it is I use and what is my experience and you know when I shot competition a couple weeks ago and shot my P365 and my 365XL in competition. That sealed the deal for me. I did real well with them. That sealed the deal as a competition. Excuse me, as a concealed carry handgun. As a concealed carry handgun. I'm using Shadow Systems guns for competition, and occasionally I will carry the MR920. But Sig just really has these. Just they're set up so nicely and they're so modular. You can change them in any way that you want to change them for virtually no money. $65 for a new grip module. I mean, it's unbelievable. And it changes the whole gun. Uh, I got Wilson Combat grip modules on two of my P365s. Okay, enough of that. Now, what I'd like to conclude with is this it's Christmas. And ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Uh, Let's remember what it is that we Christians celebrate, and that is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, okay, I get that. 
then this might not be a huge holiday for you or you may not celebrate it the way I celebrate it. I pray for all of you that you will come to know the Lord Jesus if you do not already. And I really believe with all my heart that there is a life after this one and for those who believe Christ and believe in Christ that the life will be spent with him in joy forever. That is the reason why we celebrate this season. Please remember to be kind to people this season, Christmas and New Year's, especially Christmas. Be kind to one another. Let's set our differences aside if there's differences. I was having a conversation at a Christmas party a couple days ago, and the person I was talking to, we agreed on most things. We disagreed on some But we disagreed in a really nice way. And both of us left it feeling good about our discussion and feeling good about ourselves. And that's the way I think that it it should be. If you have relatives that you disagree with, be kind to them on Christmas. Give to the less fortunate on Christmas. Jesus said, we'll always have the poor among us. So be kind to them. Be thoughtful, be giving. Remember the thought counts. If there's somebody you haven't talked to in a while and you need to talk to them, call them up. Call them up, wish them a Merry Christmas and start talking to them again. Show some love. That's what it's all about. That's what God did for us. And we celebrate his birth. It may not actually be the day that Jesus Christ was born. In fact, it probably wasn't. But it's the day that we choose to celebrate it. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. To all my non-Christian friends, Happy Hanukkah. Whatever it is that you believe and whatever your, your beliefs are, if you have a holiday coming up and it's the season for that holiday, then I wish you a good holiday. So let's all have a good 2023. With all that said, shoot straight. Shoot safe. Read your Bible every day. Support this show on Patreon. Give me a review on iTunes. Use my Amazon store if you're doing some last-minute Christmas shopping. Go to handgunworld.com and go to the Amazon store first. And I'll talk to you again next time. Goodbye.